0: That's right, everyone. Thanksgiving is this week and we're talking about Turkey, the tax jurisdiction that is stuffed with quirks and nuances. No, it doesn't follow the OECD guidelines. And yes, there is a threshold for the master file, but none for the local file. Even just trying to summarize them can be a mouthful, but enough of the puns. Everyone's hungry. So let's just get to the meat and potatoes of Turkish transfer pricing. My name's Matthew DeMello. I am the host of the Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions' weekly transfer pricing podcast. We're joined on today's episode by Cross-Border Solutions' chief economist and host of our Transfer Pricing University webinars, Mimi Song, on today's show. And in speaking of academic credentials, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words throughout the course of this episode. Send all three to the Fiona show at xbs.ai again that's the Fiona show at xbs.ai and will respond with your certificate now let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news <laughs> Sharing is caring. Taiwan's Ministry of Finance announced that it will be exchanging country by country reports with drum roll, please, Switzerland. The newly added reports will pertain to fiscal years starting January 1st, 2019. Switzerland joins the ranks with other exchange countries, Japan, New Zealand, and Australia. While it is exciting news, beware of the fine print. If the Taiwanese tax office can't get a hold of one of the group's reports from the other participating countries, the group must provide it to the Taiwan tax authorities. The news isn't the only thing coming on fast, so is the submission deadline. The filing cutoff is December 31st. Out with the old and in with the new. Vietnam's transfer pricing rules are getting a makeover thanks to the release of Decree 132. It replaces 2017's transfer pricing Decree 20 and pertains to tax year 2020. Here's what you need to know. Taxpayers and tax authorities are getting the thumbs up to use commercial databases for comparable searches. Also, the country by country submission deadline has been extended 12 months after the fiscal year end, replacing the previous 90-day requirement. While some parts of the decree are relaxing, others are tightening, specifically the arm's length range. The lower acceptable limit is increasing from 25% to 35%, making the new range 35 to 75%. The decree also clarifies which taxpayers are off the hook in terms of preparing transfer pricing documentation. Suddenly, everybody's ears just perked up. Here are the boxes you have to check. The taxpayer's related party transit Transactions can only be conducted with Vietnam-based parties. All involved must be subject to the corporate income tax rate and ineligible for tax incentives. If that's not an early Christmas gift for some taxpayers, I don't know what is. The decree will go into action on December 20th. Changes on the horizon in Lithuania. Lithuanian tax authorities just announced they are relieving Lithuanian taxpayers involved in domestic transactions of transfer pricing documentation burdens. You heard right. If you're a Lithuanian taxpayer involved in a domestic related party transaction, you don't have to produce transfer pricing documentation. So that must mean they're lightening up on cross border transactions too, right? Wrong. In fact, very, very wrong. Taxpayers who meet certain thresholds and are involved in cross-border related party transactions are still on the hook for the master and local files and the CBC report. And those bloodhounds, I mean tax authorities, announced they'll be hot on the audit trail. In fact, you could wager that they have freed themselves up from the domestic documentation burdens so they could devote more time to scrutinizing international transactions. Word has it that they're looking hard at financial and service transactions. So consider yourself warned. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern day transfer pricing everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country specific regulations. Mimi, it is so great to have you back on the show, especially talking about a very nuanced jurisdiction like Turkey. But before we get into the nitty gritty of transfer pricing in Turkey, we have a couple of, well, Thanksgiving related questions, and I'm sure puns will ensue from here. Uh, (laughs) Now, have you adjusted your Thanksgiving plans due to COVID-19?
1: Well, I think usually we have all of our, our our family come to my house, so that's not really gonna happen. So it'll be a little bit smaller. like my sister-in-law won't be coming from California. My parents won't be coming from Texas so mm-hmm. so it'll just be you know immediate family and, and and my in-laws who are very who are not far from us. So I, I think it's okay it's gonna be okay. I mean, we still have family and so i'm excited about thanksgiving it's always a really um it's a great time for good food and to try new recipes out so (laughs) i won't let covid hold us down here
0: yeah yeah always we're not gonna we're not gonna stop all the plans are you making a turkey
1: well i probably personally am not my husband will make the turkey he's been doing it year over year. So I, I'm pretty sure he's he's already thinking about which one to buy and <laughs> what he needs to do with it do with it. I you know, there's so many different ways to cook a
0: turkey, Bet. I don't know yeah. if you knew this. Yeah. Oh I, I have some idea I have not done turkey, but I, I know there are many, many ways to cook a turkey.
1: Yes, many ways. And the one way we have not yet been able to do is fry a turkey. So I don't think we're gonna try it this year, but one day one day we're gonna fry a turkey. Last year, I think we did a spatchcock turkey where you actually open it up to get more even cooking. I personally like the old school, like stuff the turkey with stuffing and then like wait hours and hours for it to be undercooked because, you know, the stuffing, (laughs) it it, it prevents the heat from getting inside. And so it takes even longer and the outside of the turkey is super dry. The inside is undercooked and you're like, what's going on? Yes. But we don't do that anymore we've 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 evolved we've changed yeah. Yes. So, yes I, I, loved, I actually do really like turkey by the way
0: yeah yeah we we I, I for most of my year it's a lunch meet and then one day of the year that's in it adds sentimentality to the holiday at least for me uh what are you grateful for this year?
1: You know, this year, I think I, I'm really just grateful for my family and my health, right? I, I think we all can be a little bit thankful for that, given the current pandemic situation. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm I am really grateful that
0: you know none of my family members were
1: directly impacted by COVID, and and so the fact that we are all still still doing well, I'm, I'm very grateful for that.
0: Amen to that. And before we move on, I just want to give everyone their first CPE code word, and that code word is Constantine, as in the Roman Emperor Constantine, who selected Byzantium as the capital of the Roman Empire in the year 324. No one today calls the city Byzantium anymore, of course, but you should remember it's called Istanbul and not Constantinople, even if that's nobody's business but the Turks. In turning to the subject of today's show, Mimi, this is a very nuanced jurisdiction. I know I say that quite a bit, but even as compared to the jurisdictions that we've gone over in the last few weeks... Turkey is a member of the OECD, but the Ministry of Finance has not aligned with all of the OECD guidelines. Tell us about that.
1: Well, I I think, and by the way, thanks for the rock star comment, Matt. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about how the Turkish Ministry of Finance Essentially, they did adopt the components of the BEPS action plan, but they didn't do it immediately, right? They were one of the slower adopting countries. We know that the OECD issued new guidelines in 2017, but a lot of the guidance outlined in the 2017 guidelines was not necessarily um, incorporated into the Turkish rules and regulations for transfer pricing, Until most recently, I think they came out with a general communique number four, and they actually refer to it as disguised profit distribution, right? Like, you know, similar along the lines of base diversion profit shifting. They've had transfer pricing rules in place before. They had documentation requirements before, but they hadn't necessarily aligned it specifically to the BEPS action plan, right? And I think that prior to the BEPS Action Plan, they were also in the boat of leaning towards preferring the application of the cup method, right? And we've talked about this in the past, Matt, where tax authorities tend to like the cup method because it is this direct price comparison. They sort of defaulted on that a little bit, but now understanding the lack of information on a global basis in terms of the application of the cup, as well as the stringent requirements of what constitutes a cup. I think they understand that using a profit-based method is appropriate, right? And it's reasonable, as and it gives a good indication of arm's length pricing.
0: Right. It also highlights a trend in Turkey of following uh, more global norms, because a lot of countries are embracing profit methods now, of course. Uh, you mentioned that they had adopted to a degree... BEPS Action 13, can we go into a little bit more of the specifics of, of how they've done this?
1: Right. They so this is this is recent, right? So they were late to the party. They've essentially now adopted the context of BEPS Action 13, the whole master file, local file, country by country reporting requirements. And that's applicable for tax years starting in the 2019 accounting period. And but remember, I mean, when we think about action 13, it was a lot. Most countries have adopted it starting in 2016. So definitely late to the party here.
0: 2017, especially. Now, what are the master file requirements?
1: And the master file requirements, as outlined by Turkey, it is required for companies that have net sales and assets greater than 500 million Turkish lira. I think that's roughly equivalent to about 65 million US dollars. And that's applicable once again, starting with the 2019 tax year period, right? And so the master file has to be prepared within a year of the fiscal year end of the company. And the master file doesn't necessarily have to be submitted with the tax return, but once again, it's a requirement to have the master file. Because you have to submit it once the tax authority requests it.
0: Right. So, and it's only, is it only required when the authorities request it?
1: That's right. It it doesn't have to be submitted at this point. Um, But when they request it, you have to have it readily available, right? So we've talked about some jurisdictions in the past giving you four days, others giving you 30 days, others giving you 60. For Turkey, you have 15 days to submit the master file if they request
0: it. Yes, indeed. I think a lot about how much we might have to go back through jurisdictions uh, as regulations change, especially from a content perspective and making podcasts. But this seems like a good place to bookmark because it looks like it's eventually going to go in that direction where it's just required.
1: That's right. I agree with that. I mean, I think, I think more and more jurisdictions are leaning in that direction of seeing the value of the mass file. So just making it a, a requisite
0: requirement. Staying in November 2020, what are the local file requirements?
1: So the local file requirements are, are similar to their former transfer pricing annual reporting requirements. It's not, they've always had a regimen that where a taxpayer was required to outline all the various cross-border transactions, they needed to prepare a transfer pricing report, the the corporate overview, the description of the transaction, the economic analysis, right? But now they've also layered on additional requirements in terms of the disclosure of certain related party transactions. I think historically for the transfer pricing report, there wasn't an explicit transactional threshold, if you will. There's no de minimis threshold. I think that taxpayers typically use a, a reasonableness test, right? So they're not going to analyze every particular transaction. They're going to focus on the the very large intercompany transactions for documentation purposes. But now, you actually need to have a more explicit local file for each entity, and there actually is a threshold for each of the different intercompany transactions, um, as it pertains to the reporting requirement
0: right right now is this part of the reason why there is such a high threshold for the master file yet none for the local like why wouldn't the Turkish tax authority want to see both
1: that's an interesting question, right, and because the I think I think it's sort of you know the difference between a top down approach versus a bottoms up approach, and so the Turkish tax authority in this case they're looking at it from a bottoms up approach saying the local file is what i'm more concerned about the details i want to look at and understand you know what's happening in my particular jurisdiction i want to see those intercompany transactions um and and because the threshold for each of those related party transactions that has to be reported is is pretty small right mm-hmm. and so when they start at that level right perhaps they think that okay well the intercompany transactions it, it Um, are probably what I care most about and hey if the company is large enough that means they have a lot of excess profit so they build it up then I want to see the master file in terms of the 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 context of this particular Turkish entity within the entire organization because there probably is more meat on the bone to latch onto, right something I might be missing when reviewing the local file and and so perhaps uh, you know that might be the thought process here in terms of why the master file threshold is, is much higher than that local file requirement. I mean, remember Matt, not every country around the world requires a master file at this moment in time. But a lot of the reason why they don't require that master file is just because a lot of that information is already available or is already required as part of
0: the local documentation. In, in speaking of documents that, at some point are going to be public let's let's be real about that uh, does turkey require a country by country report
1: they do so based on this new adoption here now they they um, they do require the country by country report they've established a threshold similar to the OECD guidelines to say it's applicable for companies for multinationals with consolidated revenue of greater than 700 million euros. Once again, this is the country-by-country country report. It is applicable for companies starting in tax year 2019, right? right. And normally when we talk about country-by-country country reporting, we know that there's this information sharing agreement in place in many jurisdictions. So usually that country-by-country country report is is filed in, in the parent company jurisdiction or the surrogate company jurisdiction, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Turkey as far as I know, has not yet signed the multilateral competent authority agreement. Right. Um, And if they don't complete the signing of the MCAA, the the information exchange agreement, then the Turkish entity actually has to file the country by country report locally as well. So that's something to keep in mind. The multilateral competent authority agreement, right? It's Mm -hmm. that explicit agreement that all of these uh, member country, OECD member countries, and, and non-member countries, by the way, you know, countries that are part of the inclusive framework in terms of adoption of the BEPS action plan minimum standards, they all came together to say, we should share this information. And and therefore, they signed this this agreement, which is in place so that they can consume the information in one location, but share it across all of these different jurisdictions. And just so that we're clear, I mean, as far as I know, Turkey hasn't signed it yet, but they're expected to sign it by the end of the year. Fingers crossed.
0: And briefly interrupting for our second CPE code word, and that code word is magnificent, as in Suleyman, the magnificent emperor of the Ottoman Empire at the peak of their powers and influence in the early 16th century. So Mimi, because Turkey has not signed the multilateral competent authority agreement, does that mean that they've required the country-by-country report but are not sharing that document with other countries. Do I have that right?
1: Well, it's twofold, right? That means they require country by country information and they're not sharing it, yes. But it also means that the taxpayer has to submit the country by country report locally because they're not receiving it from anybody.
0: So Mimi, should documentation be prepared contemporaneously?
1: Yes, so the documentation in and of itself the, the contemporaneous requirements are, are still in play. The, the documentation is supposed to be prepared annually. I think in Turkey, the corporate tax return is is due by April 25th for companies who have fiscal year ends of December 31, right? So mm-hmm. roughly four months after. Now, the documentation, and we're talking about the transfer pricing analysis or the, the really the equivalent of the local file. Report right that has to be done, you know, by the time that tax return is is filed.
0: Yes, and I under, And as I understand, there seems to be a very rigorous language requirement, not just Turkish, but if you submit in another language, you got to have a translation.
1: Yes, they they do require local language. Um, they they want to see everything in Turkish, um, and so they can request that the information be be translated into turkish and but i think they recognize that a lot of multinationals um have the documentation in english so once again they are not necessarily going to ding you for not having it in turkish to begin with but they will most likely ask for that documentation in turkish
0: so a bit more practical in practice so to speak, not to, not to lean on a pun there or at least alliteration, but uh, a little bit more practical in practice than it is on paper.
1: Right. As far as I know, they are not as, uh, as stringent in terms of being rigid and saying, well, nope, I'm not going to look at this because it's not in Turkish at all, but they'll, they'll give you a chance to, to translate it. Right.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And are there other disclosures required by Turkey?
1: There are other transfer pricing forms and reports that do need to be disclosed and prepared. And this is this is more of that form where you have to report the various intercompany transactions. You have to report on the related party transactions between your domestic and cross-border entities. So it's a, a transfer pricing form. You have to put the information, the name and title of each of the different parties involved in the transaction, the taxpayer identification information, the the name of the counterparties, and then, you know, the detail of the transaction, right? So something more similar to the U.S. version of a 5471.
0: Indeed. And does Turkey require any additions to the BEPS Action 13 documentation package?
1: There is an expansion of, you know, BEPS Action 13 in terms of what they want to see. So it's, they have their transfer pricing documentation requirements, but now they also have this, this form that needs to be prepared, which you have to include any transactions that are greater than 30,000 Turkish lira, which is actually a pretty small threshold. It's about $3,800 or 3,900 us dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. And so each of those transactions have to be outlined on this transfer pricing form. That's, that's, annex 3 or appendix 3 per the communique document. Then there's also an annex 4 or appendix 4 where if the taxpayer has assets on the balance sheet or net sales re- revenue greater than 100 million Turkish zero, then they have to submit the transfer pricing form on transactions connected with related parties exceeding. 30,000 Turkish Zira by the end of the second month following the filing deadline. So Appendix 4 is actually the format for the actual transfer pricing. The transfer pricing report is that annual requirement, and that doesn't necessarily have to be filed. And so that's the transfer pricing, actual economic analysis, all the components of the documentation. And now that analysis has to be applied for all of the various intercompany transactions, which you've reported as part of Annex 3, which is the form that needs to be filed with the tax return.
0: But just to be clear, it's as though you're filing both or none at all. Either you have to file both for Appendix 3 and 4, or you're not filing for any appendices.
1: That's a good point. I mean, if you have related party transactions, by the way, once again, the threshold is so low, Really, almost any company out there with related party transactions will most likely trigger this threshold, right? I mean, three thousand eight hundred dollars or thirty thousand Turkish lira—that's not a lot. And so, if you have intercompany transactions of that amount, well, then you're going to need to have the supporting economic analysis and the documentation to support that. So, it is you are going to have either both Annex Three and Annex Four requirements or you're gonna have no documentation requirements because you have basically no intercompany transactions.
0: Now, what about transfer pricing methods?
1: So, there's no official priority of transfer pricing methods. The turkey is going to follow a lot in line with the OECD guidelines of find the most appropriate method to be applied. And, but once again, there's there's always a little bit of a partiality here to the cup method that direct price
0: comparison. And what about comparables? What does Turkey have to say about comparables?
1: Turkey definitely likes local comparables. They want to be able to control for those market conditions and they want to see they want to see data across several years. So they they do prefer a multi-year analysis. Then, as well as the application of the interquartile range, right, which is a statistical tool to enhance the reliability of the range, and so they they have pretty um, they have pretty standard requirements in terms of what you might see from a from a local jurisdictional perspective in terms of the selection of of comparable companies.
0: Right, indeed. Now, you also have to perform fresh benchmarking every year.
1: That's right. It's it's pretty explicit that Turkey does want to see updated benchmarks. They want to see independent companies. They want unconsolidated financial data. All of these things are, are preferences that they have outlined. They haven't taken into consideration the impacts to the taxpayers and what that would mean, requiring a taxpayer to update the benchmarks on an annual basis. Because ultimately, when they're going to audit that company, they're going to do that benchmarking based on that particular time frame, and therefore, they're really putting the onus on the taxpayer to update their benchmarking to recreate the search every year, so that the taxpayer's analysis represents the market conditions for that particular year, right? And it is representative of the companies that are that are. Um, available in that particular year and are not impacted by selection bias, right? If you're only refreshing financial data year
0: over year. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit XBS.ai/RD. That's XBS.ai/RD. <laughs> Right. And that means an extra burden for taxpayers, other jurisdictions. You can update the financials here. They want a whole new search. Uh,
1: yeah, but we've talked about that before. I mean, updating financial data is, is it is commonplace. But I do think that, you know, it's also not necessarily best practice to do that. So what a turkey is asking for is really sort of this the application of a best practice
0: with best practices, you are still very likely to be audited in Turkey.
1: It is a high risk audit jurisdiction. And it's high risk because if your documentation isn't submitted, your transfer pricing reports, your disclosures, if you are late in terms of submitting your documentation when they ask for it, you're going to get dinged. So any of these issues can be perceived in a negative light. And therefore, the tax inspectors are are going to be scrutinizing the company as if they are hiding something, right? I mean, think about the way that their communique was written. It talked about the scope of disguised profit distribution. So they're already taking this position of, hey, multinational enterprise, you guys are disguising your profit and I'm going to find out where you've hidden it.
0: In what specific industries or situations is the Turkish tax authority looking at?
1: So they are going to focus a little bit more on management fees, cost allocations. And I think that costs that are being challenged in a lot of jurisdictions, right? If there are inbound management charges, and and this is very standard across all different industries, you know, management services where a company is headquartered outside of the jurisdiction. And then because they're receiving a certain level of support, from outside of that jurisdiction, then you have inbound allocable costs. Now, Mm -hmm. Turkey has been one of those jurisdictions that want to look at that very closely. They're going to want to understand what is the benefit derived from that service? Are these services, in fact, allocable and attributable to the Turkish operation? Would Turkey have been able to operate without these services? And if not, could they have sourced these services locally. Now, here's an important distinction because we've heard in certain situations, uh, like in Turkey, um, where sometimes they might ask the taxpayer to look for similar service providers locally in Turkey, even though the service provider themselves are outside of the jurisdiction of Turkey, Mm -hmm. right? And, And what that means is, It's an an additional burden on the taxpayer, because let's say it's a U.S. company is providing management services to Turkey. Our standard approach will be to identify U.S. management service providers or something along those lines, right? But Turkey could come back and say, well, those are U.S. companies. I want to know what it would cost our Turkish company to source that type of service locally and whether or not the margin applicable or that type of service provider would also um, be earning the same level of uh, of profit if they were a Turkish-based company.
0: Yes, absolutely. One more question I'm going to ask, if only for my own education. Wouldn't this wreak havoc on the benefits test?
1: So the benefits test is something I think that, Is it needs to be flushed out in every transfer pricing report? Right. It's important to not only understand um, whether or not a a service is requires a certain level of markup, or whether or not it's providing a value-added service. First and foremost, right. As practitioners, we need to assess whether or not the service, in fact, represents a beneficial service, and and that. Definition of benefit is so specific in the transfer pricing context. It's not. It, it is not. Uh, it, it's not to say that that person's responsibility um, is is not benefiting the company, which I ran into sometimes. It's it's not that at all. What it is 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 what that person is doing ultimately benefiting the Turkish entity directly. I'll, I'll give you two samples, for example. Mm-hmm. Let's say that there was an accounting person sitting in the U.S. And this accounting person was processing the invoices for the Turkish company's sales, okay? So that accounting person were processing Turkish customer invoices. Well then clearly that is a a very beneficial service to the Turkish entity. Without that person, Turkey would have had to hire a local accountant to process those invoices, to make the journal entries and things of that nature. So there's a very clear distinction of benefit in that case. Would you agree, Matt? I would agree. Now, let me give you a different scenario. There is a U.S. internal audit professional. Right. Everyone loves the internal audit team by the way. <laughs> so let's <laughs> so say there's a there's an internal audit professional. This is where it gets a little bit more gray. What if that internal audit professional were now auditing the Turkish operations? Is the Turkish operation following protocol? Are they following the processes and procedures outlined within the organization? Right? So that internal audit person is going to be spending a lot of time talking to a lot of the professionals in turkey auditing the processes auditing perhaps some of the financial transactions they're going to be spending a lot of time and so if you were to ask that person how much time did you spend auditing turkey perhaps they say i spent the whole month of august now should we allocate those internal audit costs to turkey that is less of a straightforward answer in that case matt or do you have a Do you have any preliminary thoughts on that?
0: It's less straightforward in the way with how Turkey puts together their transfer pricing regulations. They're hyper focused on that local entity. Does this benefit the Turkish entity more or in comparison to the whole group?
1: That's absolutely right. And so they're going to be a little more hard nosed about taking that position to say certain charges. Maybe they shouldn't have been allocated because you can't demonstrate true benefit it's not black and white and if you're not articulating the story of how that particular service like in our example internal audit benefits the turkish operations then you will be challenged
0: so what would likely be challenged during a transfer pricing audit in turkey
1: So your methodology could be challenged, right? Are you applying a a transactional net margin method instead of a comparable and controlled price method instead of the cup method, for example? You know, I I think once again, we know that there's a little bit of partiality towards the cup method. And so if the tax inspector wants to see potential cups or they know that potential cups exist, They're going to want to look at that, clearly be challenged on that front. You could also be challenged on your selection of comparables. And that is a challenge that you face all the time in terms of, okay, well, do you have local comps? Are your comps functionally comparable? Do they represent the facts and circumstances? And are they aligned from a risk profile with your tested party? So all of that could be challenged under audit. And Turkey is also one of those jurisdictions that have been known to use secret comparables which we know that 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 is a huge challenge for taxpayers to address, right? Because it's, it's data that's just not available to anybody else except perhaps the tax inspectors based on the information that they're getting on their local tax returns, right? But at least from what I know, practically speaking, if the Turkish tax authority actually tries to impose secret comparable ranges on the taxpayer, then the taxpayer can actually challenge that. I mean, it's just not a level playing field and it is not fair for the taxpayer to be subject to secret comparable ranges, especially if they are not in line with the ranges that they're seeing from their own economic analysis perspective.
0: Right, right. Now, we were talking before about how the cup method tends to be focused on in general throughout uh, Turkish transfer pricing. But is that focally why it becomes the subject so often of an audit in Turkey? Or is there a larger dynamic behind that?
1: Well, so, I mean, I think I think it's just it's simple, first of all, right? So the preference or why people look at the cup method. Well, because they find it to be simple. If you sell a cup of coffee to one related party versus another unrelated party, then that's easy to to assess the arm's length nature of that transfer price. But we all know that the comparability requirements under the cup method or under the application of the cup method are much more rigid. And that's where it becomes tricky because the subjectivity comes in terms of understanding and assessing the comparability requirements of that cup. And the Turkish tax authorities perhaps are going to take a little bit more of a loose definition of perhaps what constitutes comparability if there are potential cups available, Right. right? I'll be funny about that. Like For example, if you are selling a paper cup right? Versus a metal cup. <laughs> right? And and both of them have very different characteristics. One is made out of paper. The underlying processes are probably different than if you were to have to, you know, source steel to make a metal cup that is much more long-term and sustainable. And, and, and you were talking about different types of equipment and different processes, different raw materials. And yet, because they're both vessels that hold water or beverages (laughs) the turkish tax authority could could potentially say well they're both cups they should both be the same price but you know i'll I'll ask you directly matt would you pay the same price for a paper cup one-time use versus a steel cup
0: of course not (laughs) (laughs) especially for one-time use And I like how you worked in cups in there for the extra pun, extra points for puns. I I mean, even at that point where we like to say in TPU, you know, your your competitors shouldn't be your comparables. uh, The metal cup manufacturer might have more in common with, say, another manufacturer that puts together smartphone devices than it does the paper cup plant.
1: Yeah, that's 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 right. That could perhaps be. Argued, yes. Yes. So now you're thinking like an economist,
0: Matt. I'm trying very hard. And it's about leaving conceptually what we think of as both a a cup as a method and a cup as a a platonic object. But we'll... But that's one of the beautiful things that working at a place that leverages technology helps us to do it. frees us up to think a little bit more philosophically. But how do you think technology helps with compliance in a high-risk jurisdiction like Turkey?
1: So first and foremost, when we're talking about meeting those localized requirements and staying on top of the regulatory changes, this is how technology is going to Help us stay one step ahead of the game. Technology will allow us to stay on top of changes, um, to to be able to actually identify local comparables to the to the extent that they actually exist. Right, understand, you know the nuanced approaches. For example, I think in Turkey they have changed what constitutes control or ownership. They've made that criteria much lower. So, that threshold is not 30% or 50% ownership or more. It's actually lowered to 10%, which changes the game in terms of the requirements, right? And even in the selection of the comparable companies, it has an impact on the overall analysis. And so, technology is going to take into account all those different characteristics, all those different inputs, and apply them properly so that the taxpayer can be more focused on the substance as opposed to the, the specific quantitative details, if you will, right? I mean, this is where I think you know the computing power of technology, we should be maximizing that, right? Like the modeling and things of that nature, the ability to remove human error in various calculations. That's where technology is going to help us really assess and apply the transfer pricing rules, regulations, methods, selection of comparables in the most focused manner possible so that we as practitioners, we as the institutional knowledge holders are going to be able to present the facts and circumstances in the best light possible in a much more strategic manner.
0: Indeed. Now, what do you advise clients who have related party transactions in Turkey?
1: Nothing is too small. <laughs> 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 no, 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 no transaction is too small anymore. I, I think that that's that's clear at this point, right? I mean, like I said, thirty thousand Turkish lira is such a small amount. You're talking about less than four thousand dollars in in the U.S. dollar context, and and that really, they might as well not have a transactional threshold at all mm. because the actual intercompany transaction amounts. If you were to set up an affiliate in Turkey, I mean, I can only imagine your monthly fee is gonna be a couple thousand dollars if you're even gonna have any intercompany transactions at all, so basically, nothing is too small. Turn over every stone, leave nothing uncovered.
0: Yes, if you're operating in Turkey at all, this is uh, something, or transfer pricing writ large is, is gonna be something you want to make as a regular yearly operation. And before we head into our final commercial break, we actually have our fi- third and final CPE code word for you, and that Sophia is in the Hagia Sophia, the most famous landmark in all of Istanbul, built in the 6th century by Roman Emperor Justinian I. The Hagia Sophia has been, at different points in its history, a church, a mosque, uh, and a museum, and now it's a mosque again. Changing traditions so many times can give us hope for this muted Thanksgiving holiday we have coming upon us The word, again, is Sophia. And before we head into our rapid-fire round, just a brief summary on the major talking points from today's show. Turkey is a member of the OECD, but they have not implemented local changes introduced in the 2017 version of the OECD guidelines with provisions including the nine-step approach in comparability analysis, business restructurings, and low-value-added services. Turkey has adopted BEPS Action 13 and since the 2019 accounting period requires a local file, master file, and CBC report. Usually, MEs have 15 days in an audit or inquiry to submit documentation. Turkey takes a bottom up approach when it comes to thresholds, requiring high thresholds for filing CBCR and master files, while their local file requirements include no thresholds. Documentation should be prepared annually, contemporaneously, and submitted in Turkish by April 25th. And speaking of thresholds, if your Turkish entity is pulling in 30,000 Turkish lira or $3,897.45 in good old US dollars for goods and services reporting, you're required to disclose all information about related party transactions local comparables are preferred multinationals should perform fresh benchmarking every year and even with all that you're still very likely to be audited in turkey if you're a medium or large sized company if challenged on comparables be forewarned that turkey is also known to use secret comparables but there's plenty of room for the taxpayer to challenge their use in an audit Transfer pricing methodology tends to be the main target of Turkish audits, and the frequency of audits has increased in the jurisdiction, tending to focus on intragroup charges such as management fees and cost allocation. Many times an audit comes down to how transactions and business operations benefit the Turkish entity, so be prepared to explain that and have documentation to back up all of your claims. Also, a brief primer on recent hot-off-the-press stories on Turkey. Turkey passed a digital service tax on all non-resident digital companies in December 2019, which we spoke about a little bit in today's episode, based on a definition of permanent establishment to any website that sells goods or services online to a Turkish resident. That's any website. And they took some steps to really make sure that this regulation wasn't forced. The law also gave Turkish president Recep Erdogan broad powers to raise or lower digital service taxes on any industry he saw fit around March 2020 Turkey passed their latest documentation requirements which brings us about up to speed to today's episode and we talked about that a lot today after this episode was recorded turkey and the u.s agreed to fast-track procedures in negotiations for exchanging country by country reports this is big and this signals a big change between the two u.s administrations with regard to turkish foreign policy also A big step for Turkey when it comes to transfer pricing and transparency. As of January, negotiations substantiated that reports of large multinationals, i.e. multinationals with consolidated annual revenue of 750 million euros or 922 million U.S. dollars or above will be exchanged. Wait, there's more. Turkey also extended the country by country report submission deadline to February 26th of 2021. Now, while there is a new relationship with Turkey, with a new U.S. administration, it isn't always so rosy, of course. Back in March 2021, the U.S. trade representative recommended trade actions against Turkey, along with a number of countries, following its findings that digital services taxes adopted by these countries discriminate against U.S. companies. Turkey has also been discussed as a candidate for the EU's non-cooperative jurisdictions blacklist, but is expected to resolve all open issues in terms of the exchange of information with all member states by the 31st of May 2021. software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions, transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash TP. That's xbs.ai slash TP. Thanks. <laughs> We've actually done the rapid fire round of personal questions so many times with Mimi that we've actually run out of questions. So we're going to have to thank her for joining us on today's show. We also want to thank everyone at home for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're there, don't forget to check out Cross Border Solutions Transfer Pricing in the news podcast. That's the Fiona Show. Hot off the press, our sister program Get all of your transfer pricing, global reg changes, and headlines from across the globe in under 10 minutes. My name's Matthew DeMello, and they're crazy enough to let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Marilyn Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. Please, everyone, have a safe holiday, even if you're spending alone. Sounds like a great time to catch up on some podcasts, if you ask me. Until next time, stay safe and wear a mask.